0: Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. This is Jenny Allen and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. So glad you are joining us. And I'm excited to see what fruit is going to come out of this. I know fruit will come. and and one of the reasons I know that fruit will come is because there's so many of you right now that are humble and that are seeking justice and are asking God, what does it look like for me to participate? And you guys, in fact, so many of us that have been doing this work for a long time have never been more encouraged by how the church has responded to this. We are so excited that there is, desire to see the world change and to see racism end in our generation. That is our prayer. That is our hope. And that is what we're working towards. And I invited my friend, Mike Kelsey on We got to meet recently on a retreat of a bunch of leaders, and Mike is probably one of the most just pensive and thoughtful (laughs) people. Like being in the same room with him, I was always curious, what's Mike think? What does Mike think? (laughs) And so the fact that I'm going to force him to tell me what he thinks is really exciting to me personally, because he is just a godly man. He is humble, and he is determined to follow God with his life. And also he's brilliant. So anyway, welcome, Mike Kelsey. We're so excited you're here. Thank you for being here
1: yeah thanks Jenny for having me It's good to to get on the show and talk to you about this stuff.
0: Start with introducing yourself. Just tell everybody a little bit about what you do and who you are
1: yeah so uh Mike, I'm married to Ashley and uh man, that's a whole nother episode about us uh, <laughs> but uh we've been married now about twelve years, and uh we were not high school sweethearts. We were in two totally different worlds. I had glasses and braces. she dated basketball players. Uh, But we got to college and long story short, uh, we started dating at University of Maryland, College Park, and the rest is history. We got three kids, a nine-year-old girl, two boys, six and three. We've both been doing life and ministry together as a part of McLean Bible Church. My wife has been there for 15 years. She was on staff uh, for a long time and has been off staff for the last couple of years. And I've been there on staff for the last uh, 13 years, actually, Mm. and uh, it's been fun.
0: Yeah, so I know that... You have spent a lot of time thinking about these issues, and specifically from a biblical perspective. Your voice on this has been one of my favorites, and I've shared it online because what I've seen is just a real desire to do this in a biblical way. And I think for a lot of people, their hesitation is, is this biblical or is this political? Because it feels a little bit like both. And I just want to talk through how you came to the recognition of how just how biblical and how much of Jesus's heart reconciliation was.
1: Yeah. Well, I, one reason I was excited to come on is because I respect you so much as a Bible teacher and everything you do. And I personally, in the last week, I'll just be totally honest, I've been wrestling with a lot of anger. I think a lot mm-hmm. of people have in general, but especially as a black man, like yeah. up at night wrestling with anger. And the Lord has been challenging me in the last week or so, and specifically around what you just said about making sure that as believers, we have a distinctly Christian view and approach when it comes to issues of race and justice and so i've been spending a lot of time in habakkuk because habakkuk is mad and he's looking at violence and injustice all around him and he's even frustrated with god like god what the heck are we doing uh but he says something in chapter 2 in the first couple of verses he says i will stand at my watch post and he says and i will i will listen for what god will say And that just struck me in the literally like 2 o'clock in the morning in the midst of my anger scrolling through social media. And I was just reminded that as believers, that's what we got to do. We can be angry. We can be confused. We can be all of these things. But we have to make space to sit with God's word and hear from him so that our minds can be renewed, our hearts can be changed, and we can have his wisdom for how to move forward in these issues. So as believers, like scripture has to be our platform and and our guideposts and all these things.
0: I wanna take a step back real quick and I wanna talk about your feelings in the last few weeks because Mike, a lot of people have just been on the internet. Maybe they don't have friends that are African-American So they haven't had these conversations. And I want you to just share a little bit of what it's felt like, if you don't mind, to experience these last few weeks.
1: Man, a lot of people have asked that. And unfortunately, it feels the same as it has felt for me personally, uh, since Trayvon Martin was killed. That was a major turning point for me. A lot of people will say that new injustice was real. New racism was real. All these different things. But that was a unique thing, and partially because now we have just video stuff and social media and all of that. And so it's just a mix. Uh, I was telling a mentor the other day, I feel like I keep kind of vacillating uh, between sadness, anger, resignation, and resolve. Like sometimes I'm just like, I'm done. Like, I don't really want, I mean, I'm totally honest, like, so being angry about the situation, but it's difficult for me uh, sometimes not to just torch all white people, because in particularly white evangelicals and Christians, and what keeps me from that is several things. One, just meeting and being in community with so many white brothers and sisters, looking at the type of work that you're doing and other people are doing. Jesus never gives us permission to hold people in contempt. Even people who are straight up, explicitly racist, right? And then all. Also, the Lord just really challenged me a couple years ago with this question. Do you want to be helpful or do you just want to be heard? And Mm. that was a humbling moment for me to Mm. say, what is my role as a Christian and particularly in my role as a pastor? Uh, I'm not just trying to add to the noise. I want to be a helpful voice. And sometimes that helpful voice is a little tense and it needs to be. But at all times, I think that helpful voice needs to be governed by the character of Christ and the fruit of the Spirit. So I've been wrestling through how I've been feeling and the dominant feeling has been anger but I've been trying to take that anger and submit it to the Holy Spirit so that it could be productive redemptive anger and not just out here going in on everybody. Mm.
0: I appreciate you sharing that. You know what I want people to hear is it's it's likely impossible if you are white to understand how long and how many days and how often It is hard to be a person of color in this country. I have been blessed to have friendship and conversations with probably in person, 40 to 50 African-Americans one-on-one, and I've heard their stories, and I've never met an African-American that has not come up against racism many times in their life. Because I I just, I I hate I have to say that, Mike, but I think that's what I'm hearing online is a lot of pushback to kind of, you know... We are one under Christ, you know, there's no Jew, there's no Greek. And I'm like, yes, in heaven. <laughs> but right now there are still divisions. And those divisions, we are called to work to bring unity on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. But that's work. That doesn't just magically poof appear like, oh, I, I'll choose not to be racist. Yeah. And I want to talk about biblically where this comes from because there, there is this idea, and I want you to speak specifically to that post that you wrote about justice versus peace, because I think that's where a lot of people pulled back and they were like, yeah, this was okay until there were riots. This was okay until there were protests. This was okay. And I'm going, gosh, you don't hear the louder narrative, the one that you might have, have lived with since you were born.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up. So I would say, so a lot of people respond, right, with one of two things. Either they they hear the outcry about race and racism and justice and all that type of stuff. And they'll either respond with just preach the gospel and that will kind of fix it. Or they will respond with like our unity in Christ. Why are you being so divisive? Let's, if we're talking within the church. And so, yeah, I I have been wrestling with that. And so I posted this, what you're talking about. I posted about kind of a a, a Christian view of, of peace versus justice and two particular texts that I have been meditating on. One is Matthew chapter five, verse nine. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. And that was a major text from my own heart. And I, I want to say we are called to be peacemakers that sometimes we don't want to, not just along these issues of race and justice, but along a lot of different issues. But that's one of the things Jesus, that's part of how we bear witness to the kingdom of God is that we are called to be peacemakers. But God also says, in, in it, for example, in Jeremiah chapter six, verse 14 and even before we read that, even Jesus himself comes and says, listen, I came to bring a sword, right? I'm dividing family members because the kingdom of God is based on truth. And that truth is going to inevitably divide at some point, right? But in Jeremiah 6:14, it says, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Really mm. study that in context God is angry because there are these prophets and and there are people among the children of Israel who are uh, trying to kind of declare peace when there is all kind of unjust, like chaos happening. And so to me, I I want to say to Christians, we have to hold those two things in tension. We can't put them against each other. So here's how I put them together. This is so important to understand. Peace is the goal. Peace is the goal. And I'm talking interpersonally, and I'm also talking so, just socially in general. For a Christian, peace has to be our goal. And here's the thing. Justice is a prerequisite means to peace. In other words, you cannot get to peace in our interpersonal relationships or in our society without working for justice. It doesn't mean that we wait for perfect justice before we have peace, because that won't happen until Jesus comes back. But we see this clearly in the gospel. I mean, we have peace with God only to the extent that the justice demanded by God for our sin has been satisfied in Christ. And so because Mm -hmm. that justice has been satisfied, now by faith, we are able to enjoy peace with God. And so I think you see it at an interpersonal level, you see it at a social societal level in scripture, and ultimately, you see it as a spiritual level when it comes to our relationship uh, with God.
0: That is so helpful. And I want you to say that verse in Jeremiah again. Yeah. Jeremiah
1: six fourteen. it says, they dressed the wound of my people as though it were not serious. In other words, they're like just putting Band-Aids on the issue, right? And peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. It's a premature call for wow. peace.
0: That changed my view of this conversation when Tasha told me this, just exactly what you're saying about this idea, because I, I do think we crave comfort and we crave peace. And as white people, largely we can get it. We can create it. We can make it happen. And I think I want to talk just a little bit more with you about privilege, because what I see happening right now is two things that are pretty different <laughs> and both with Bible backing them. So one is a wake-up call of advocacy, where it's, it's I want to be an ally. I don't want to just not be ra- racist. I want to help. I want to actually be a part of the solution to this problem that has existed since the beginning of our country. And in fact, our country was built on it. So let's submit that. Let's work towards truly bringing healing in our country and repentance and then there's another group that just kind of at that you know at some point is just they're resistant and maybe it's lack of education exposure but they're afraid. Maybe they don't realize that they can help and that God's really called them to help. So what would you say to them concerning the gospel and really this work?
1: Yeah, man. So here's the here's what I would say and this was so helpful to me because I preached on race in our church and I don't mind sharing this this is something that I preached on race in our church for the first time about four years ago, and uh, as far as I know, it was the first full-length sermon on, on race, at least in the time that I've been at the church. And man, I got so much, I got overwhelmingly positive feedback, but then I got a whole lot, and I still have the emails, a whole lot of stinging, in some way, and, and in some cases, disrespectful feedback. So I've had just a lot of interactions over the last several years around all this type mm. of stuff. And a friend of mine, Jordan Rice, he's a pastor in Harlem. He said something to me that I thought was so helpful. And this is what I want to say to especially white brothers and sisters. Other than just sheer ignorance and just not, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, I mean just not being aware. One of the first hurdles you're gonna have to get over in, in this kind of fight for, for justice particularly as it relates to race, is you're going to have to get over the hurdle of your shame. You're going to have to get over the hurdle of your shame. Now, there's some labels we could use. We could say white guilt, but that people's minds go in a bunch of different directions. But there is a, there is a shame that either I find a lot of my white friends feel or feel resentful that they're being asked to or think they're being asked to feel some sort of shame. And what I mean is when we talk about specifically when we talk about systemic racism and how historic racism has uh, contributed to conditions today and continues today. Obviously in American society, the construct of race was designed intentionally designed to oppress people of African descent and maximize benefit for white people, people of European descent, which that whole concept of white is just a whole thing in and of itself. What that means is that white people in our country, even Though they have not chosen it in many instances, are continual beneficiaries of a system of racism there's no escaping that, and so a lot of people with their immediate pushback is, well wait a minute uh, I, I didn't do anything wrong i didn't have any slaves i didn't yeah but but in many ways, there are so many ways that there is privilege intentionally attached in this country to the color of your skin and what what that can produce in you is this sense of of, of shame. Like if you think about your your family of origin and and the ways that they talked about particular racial groups or that you carry around this perpetual sense of shame, which I'm seeing now, or people feel like it's bad to to be white and you're sheepish about, about being white. And here's what I wanna say, white guilt or that kind of shame is a terrible motivator for racial justice, terrible. We know that from 2 Corinthians 7. That's a worldly sorrow and worldly sorrow is just embarrassment that will motivate you to do whatever's necessary for you not to be considered racist Mm. Stop there. Right. But what it'll do is it won't get you engaged enough to do the deeper, harder work in your own heart and your own family history. It won't be conviction enough to sustain you, to endure in the fight of racial justice in the long run. So that's one of the things I want to say is think about what do we do with our guilt? What do we do with our shame? What do we do with the grief that we feel over sin in our own hearts and sin in the world? It's the same thing we do about sin in any other way. We turn from that sin. We bring it to God in true, genuine confession. We agree with God about the sin in our hearts and in the world. And we, we, we work towards not just getting away from sin. We work to promote and to pursue uh, godliness. So let me just say this loud and clear real quick on that note. Brothers and sisters, do not be embarrassed about being white. Don't be embarrassed about being white. God made you with the color of your skin. You happen to be born into this particular country in this context. You don't have to carry around guilt and shame just for that. But you do have a responsibility in this country at this particular time to say, God, how do you want me to Micah 6, eight, right? Do justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly with God.
0: So let's talk a little bit about that privilege and, and what we could do with it, because I, I do think there's a lot of conversations that white people that I know that want to make a difference, that they, they want to see this justice roll forward. They don't know how to help. So talk just a little bit about yielding our privilege and what that looks like to divest that and to, to be helpful.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would say part of what that looks like is understand that American history in many ways privileges you. So we have a a certain kind of narrative of American exceptionalism and all that. And this is not to say anything negative about the ideals, right, of our country or the progress that we've made. But I think one of the ways to kind of confront just the reality of your privilege is just to educate yourself about history. Educate yourself about American history as it relates to indigenous people and Native Americans. Educate yourself about history as it relates to Asian Americans in our country and, and how immigration policy throughout, you know, the last hundred years, right, has affected various Asian populations, you know, in our country. So just learning, I mean, obviously for African Americans, you know, uh, slavery and and segregation and Jim Crow and all that, and, and, and today, just how certain policies disproportionately affect African Americans as it relates to health and education and criminal justice so i think educating yourself and in many ways re-educating yourself on history is a great starting point because one of the biggest disconnects i think we have in this conversation is so many of us link all of these different isolated incidents within this greater historical reality of racism and racial inequality in our country so i would say dive in man and learn history I would also just say, like in your relationships, like learn from just the the folks that you have around you, ask questions, you know what I mean and and b I would say with that, there's a lot of talk right now, um and I think it's 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 wise to just be careful right not to put all the burden of your education on the people of color around you, but at the same time, if we're in relationship like if if my relationship can't handle you asking me a question, then what kind of friendship is that? and so I would just say, uh yeah, ask questions, process some of this stuff." Uh, with other people but here's what i would say i think in general this work for justice is going to cost you something and that's one if i could diagnose the problem particularly of white christians in america when it comes to race and justice is that we agree with so many different things in principle but oftentimes white christians have not been willing to really be inconvenienced or pay the cost for whether we're talking about desegregation, oh now these people are gonna be in my school and so you just move further out into the suburbs and then you move further out into rural areas and call that the new suburbs. George Whitfield, I've mentioned him before, you know, who who was a prominent uh, evangelical preacher who lobbied for slavery in Georgia because he said if we don't use African slave labor, then the Georgia economy will collapse. Well, what was that? That was an unwillingness to pay the cost for somebody else's freedom to say, all right, we'll have to figure something out for the economy so that we can honor God's word, which says all men are created equal and have dignity. And white people should not own people of African uh, descent and treat them as subhuman. So you're going to have to pay some costs. That is going to look like you thinking about your housing practices. When you move into certain cities or certain neighborhoods, just I'm not saying don't, I'm just saying, be thinking about how your housing choices can be acts of justice and mercy, be a kingdom of God, justice oriented presence in the neighborhood that you move into. So that's just one example. But overall, I would say it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost our churches something in order to pursue this work.
0: Mike, you have been doing this work for a long time and you're still going. So that means you have hope. Mm, i do. So give give me that hope. What do you picture? What's the dream here?
1: Yeah. Well, obviously the my hope is anchored in Revelation 7, right? That we know, we know God's heart from Genesis to Revelation is through the, the the death and the resurrection of Jesus to create this family, this eternal community of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. This thing we're working for is gonna happen. So as Christians, we start there. It is going to happen. And so we pray and we work for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. So that's ultimately where my hope is. But I also have help, hope in the power of the Holy Spirit in us, right? As as followers of Jesus that the Holy Spirit, listen, God says through Paul in Philippians 1, right, that the work I've begun in you I will bring it to completion. So he's doing a work in his church. And and God cares. I mean, I would say this is one of the central heartbeats of the of the scriptures. That God wants his grace to be made known to the nations, to all ethnic groups, right? All different people groups. And so the Holy Spirit is, we see it right now. I mean, see about how many churches, right, are waking up to this reality and being willing to put some skin in the game. So I have hope. I have hope because this emerging generation doesn't have as many of the, of the same hangups as previous generations. And so they have a more comprehensive theology right? That, that includes the body and does not just target the soul. And so I have hope for this emerging generation that is thinking of the whole counsel of God and how all of that shapes and motivates us to represent uh, Jesus in the world. And so I have days and have had days in the last week where y'all, I've been, man, <laughs> of anger and just frustration and just like, man, I want to go back to my roots in the black church to be just totally honest with you, right? But uh, I have hope That we have an opportunity by God's spirit to bear witness to a watching world that real life people with real life issues from all different kinds of backgrounds and perspectives can not just come into the same community, the local church, but can be shaped by the same Holy Spirit, the same truths of God's word and can like go. And we I, we just saw this, man. I told you, Jenny, before we started recording that we were out marching yesterday down in DC and my grandfather marched in the March on Washington in 1963. I was with my dad in the Million Man March in 1955. Um, I mean, 1995, <laughs> and we were, I wasn't in 1955. <laughs> and we were marching again yesterday in 20, uh, so many different kinds of people uh, out there marching uh, with us. And so, man, I, I have hope, but it's gonna take work.
0: Will you pray for us before we
1: go? i love to. Father, thank you so much uh, for uh, the grace that you have given us in Christ. Thank you, Father, that you have saved us from our sin, but you have saved us into this new creation family, this family of citizens of the kingdom of God from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And Lord God, we know the history, Father, that we still have to grapple with. We know the sin in our hearts and the sin in our systems that we have to contend with, God. We know that we don't ultimately wrestle against flesh and blood, Father, but we know that we fight against an enemy, spiritual principalities and powers that desire to steal, kill, and destroy. And yet, greater is he who's in us than he who is in the world. God, we thank you that we have everything we need for life and godliness, and your word equips us for every good work. And so, Lord, would you empower and embolden us by your Holy Spirit, to continue this work father would you give us courage to face the prejudice and the fear and the anger and all of those sinful and unhealthy things that are in our own hearts and lord would you give us the wisdom and the courage and the endurance and fortitude father to go out into the world proclaiming the kingdom of god and demonstrating your love for all people uh, so that all people cannot just know father but can have freedom to enjoy the dignity that they inherently have as image bearers of God. Lord, thank you so much uh, for everything that you're doing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Hey, before you turn this episode off, I want to make sure you didn't miss this. Jenny made a huge announcement about a 15-year dream in the making that is finally coming real, and we want you to be a part of it. If you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, a teacher, if you just work with kids, you will want to go right now to Theology.com. It's T-H-E-O-L-A-B-Y.com. Drop your email in because coming in June 2020 are tools and resources that are going to help you give the kids in your life a big view of God, and we don't want you to miss it. So head over there to Theology.com so you don't miss a single update.